So one of the unique benefits that comes along with um, purchasing a short-term rental as opposed to a traditional investment property is that you can use what's called a vacation home loan to finance them. And the vacation home loan is a 10% down loan um, as opposed to you know, 15, 20, 25% you see with a lot of investment type properties. But the the limitations that come with the second home loan are that it has to be in your personal name, so it can't be run through an LLC. Like the, mm-hmm. the loan itself can't be held by an LLC, um, and you can only have one in each market. This is the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise Guys Show with Matt and Dr. Iggy, helping you achieve peak health and financial freedom so that you can live a long, vibrant life on your own terms. And now, here are your hosts, Matt and Dr. Iggy. Welcome, everybody, to the Healthy, Wealthy, Wise Guys Show. My name is Matt, and I'm here with my awesome brother from another mother, Red Jacket, stole Rudolph's nose and put it onto a jacket, biking, cycling, cold water diving, all kinds of awesomeness, making things happen. The number one, Dr. Iggy. How are you today, brother? I am so great. Super duper great. Beyond great. I am wonderful. I finally, I, I've been, you know, I think the full, I mean, I know that the full moon interferes with sleep. Last night, I finally got over eight hours. I was like, I woke up this morning. You know, when you get that good night's sleep. Yeah. It's calm. Like super calm. It is. It's calming. Now, do you, are, do you do melatonin every day to sleep? Do you do melatonin yeah. or just, just natural? What? Well, no, I do natural sleep, but then I, yes, I supplement with melatonin too. Yeah. I just tried taking it. I haven't told you that. I just tried taking melatonin and yeah. it has made, I monitor my sleep on my phone through my little watch app that I do. And I've noticed that my deep sleep time has gone up since I've been taking melatonin. And I noticed that I do, just as you just said, feel more relaxed and feel more at peace when I've gotten more sleep. So I'm glad to hear that you got more sleep. Yes. And not only that, you know why else I'm amazing? Because it's getting colder out. And what happens when it gets colder? My pool gets colder. Water so gets I, colder. And so you get more blah. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's the opposite. I get that it, that focus. And when mm. you're under, now the water's in the 40s. And so when you're under there doing those four laps, you, you're you 100% committed. It's wonderful. You're coming over. I will. I will. I can't wait. To, I actually cannot wait to do a cold water. I, I actually can wait, but it, it's it scares the crap out of me to think about this. But um, I know how it would make me feel to do cold water immersion with you um, in that. And I've done it a few times. Uh, I mainly just do cold showers, but I'm I'm all in in that. So we should do a like a cold, uh, uh, healthy, wealthy, wise guys retreat at some point. You know, yeah. like, like a health retreat, and just and just turn our listeners uh, have you just turn loose on them. I'll keep the pool open in January. Yeah. Come to Dr. Iggy's yeah. house. We'll go by in January. Maybe we'll, maybe, uh, maybe if anybody's interested in that, email us at healthy at uh, mattandiggy.com on the, on the info line there. So um, speaking of cold and healthy and everything like that, Dr. Iggy, why don't you get us healthy? What you got for a health tip? So I thought a lot about what health tip I could give. And then when I was just thinking, I was like, huh. And then I started singing... What you what you what you want what you want and I thought of Red Hot Chili Peppers right that was their song was that their song and I was like yeah. why not but Red Hot Chili Peppers and 
There's actually Beastie Boys, but that's okay. So what you what you what you want, what you want. Yeah. But that's okay. But I love the Chili's too. And their their album Mother Milk was one of my favorite albums when I was a kid. So that's okay. Beastie Boys are a phenomenal band as well. As well. May Mike D rest in peace. But um, but why uh but it would tell me about red hot chili peppers, you know. Tell me about chili peppers, though. And I'm not trying to bust your bubble, man. But, you know, well, Anthony Kiedis does not want his, you know, would want to sign it, wouldn't want you to put his name on, on another phenomenal song of the 80s and 90s. Well, I do love the BC Boys. And so maybe They're that's what I, I couldn't pick a favorite between those two. But yeah. <laughs> Thanks for covering for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I got you. Yeah. You always do. So, Tell me, chili peppers. There's um, a peptide in there. I think it's called pronounced capation or something like that. And anyway, it's used in a lot of muscle rubs. Hmm. You gives that feeling of like, I don't know if that burning feeling, right? You never Hmm. use it. Okay. No, I've consumed them many times, but the thought of rubbing them on my body, that makes sense because of like the heat it does in your mouth of like the heat that it would do on a muscle. Yeah. And huh. so it's incredible, but not only is it beneficial, but there's been studies that it can treat or help treat high blood pressure. Because if huh. you take it internally or if you rub it on, actually, there were studies on mice that when you rub it on their skin in a cream, it actually helps with high blood pressure. Hmm. And it it acts on this uh, vanilloid uh, receptor I have to look at my notes because then, yeah, because I got all excited about it. But it it activates nitrous uh, nitric oxide, which you know some people take citrulline for and all these other things to help dilate their blood vessels. That's interesting. But when you say uh, ingest it, right? Is it okay? I few questions. Any hot pepper? Will any hot pepper do? So are we talking like you know ghost pepper, habanero, jalapeno? Any of those? Um, yeah, 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 straight up. But you can eat a, a straight up ghost pepper. I cannot. No, yeah, I can't. I've had I've had sauces with ghost pepper in them. I've had many a sauce with habanero in it. Um, in that, but uh, I. But it, when you're talking about, can I still cons- can I consume the sauce, the hot sauce that has the hot pepper, uh, you know, as an ingredient in it, and get the same benefit? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, they're. If you you'll find these creams out there with that that hot pepperness too. So if you can't take it, you can apply it, but it will burn and it won't burn right away. And putting water on it will do what? Make it worse. So you have to, <clears throat> you have to be really really careful. Um, there were some studies that after a heart attack too, that they were beneficial when you put on that hot cream because. Mm. So dilated you and it helped you out and it would actually decrease inflammation. I know it seems weird, but it, it works in a different kind of method. So it, it might send out inflammation, I mean, signals to quell or slow down the inflammation. Uh, it, yeah. So that's like one of the other powerful things. The mm. other thing is it could potentially fight cancer. There's been a, a study of prostate cancer in mice, though, not in humans, that it reduced it by 80%. Huh. That's so there's like all these things, and obviously it fights pain. Um, and it 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 you know it sends I mean, it causes uh, some pain too, but you know. <laughs> 
ouch, that, that hurts. And then your pain goes away because it's, you know, one of those things. It's also possibly antiviral, antibacterial, um, because I don't think they like that spiciness too. Even um, I'm humanizing bacteria and viruses, which <laughs> viruses are really possibly not alive. Um, the other thing, and this one's an interesting one. So it can help with ulcers, especially related to H. pylori or Helicobacteria pylori. Mm. It uh, it can it can help with it. I would not. I would try that topically first before you eat it, because if you have an active ulcer, eating hot peppers is is probably not a good idea. That sounds so like should, a bad idea. That sounds like how a lot of people get. It sounds like a good way to get an ulcer. You know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, but that this is it. And then it also, for obvious reasons, it increases metabolism. So before I go into sauna, I actually sometimes make uh, like a cayenne pepper tea and I'll drink that while I'm in the sauna because that's going to cause me to sweat, increases metabolism. And then I'm sitting in the sauna. So I super sweat. Tricks of the trade. Yeah. Now, the the one big warning besides if you eat these ghost peppers um and they do make you know pepper spray that police use and uh spray that system. down your throat yeah don't do that um is they are what's considered a nightshade like tomatoes and you know peppers and so some people uh that are sensitive to nightshades mushrooms uh you, you should be very careful eating peppers because you you might get inflammation from just eating them but eating the actual peptide well not eating but applying that you should be okay but you should talk to your doctor and you should try it a very small amount first because sometimes when i try certain ones i get like a huge like almost like hives back there because it's hmm. so spicy. yeah that's so interesting that's that that was my awesome health tip with the wrong music, but I should have just let it go. But 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 any any oh, other God. music junkie uh, listener would would also reprimand you for uh, aligning a Beastie Boys song to the Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, only out of disrespect for the Beastie Boys and and uh, and respect for the Chilies too. So, um, but hey, great uh, great health tip. Thank you. I'm gonna go do a shot of habanero sauce on your behalf tonight, and and uh, to penalize myself for correcting you, I'm gonna go do a little shot after this. So. Um, I'm going to go get y'all wealthy. Here we go. Uh, so on today's episode, we talked a little bit about different options for debt. And it really t- tipped me off that I wanted to highlight this, right? That debt is a phenomenal instrument in getting wealthy and it can't, debt can either, it, it's just an instrument. So a lot of the, you know, Dave Ramsey people out there, well, you shouldn't have any debt. BS. No, you can have debt. It's just about what you do with it and about the different the different debt vehicles you pick, right? So if you're taking on debt to buy an asset that produces a lot more cash flow than the debt service is, then that is a cash flowing asset. The debt can either take money out of your pocket or put it in your pocket, but hopefully you're investing in something in a in a vehicle that has plenty more cash flow, not a little more cash flow, plenty more cash flow than the debt services, right? And what we talk about with today's guest is the different debt options that are there. And so it's not just, should I borrow money or should I not? It's what vehicle do I want? Is this interest only? Is it amortized? Is uh, What's the interest rate? Is it floating? Is it fixed? Is it 30-year fixed? Is it five-year fixed? Whatever it is. So there, as much as there's any different ways that you can slice up a equity pie, you can also slice up debt or elect many, many different options for debt. So 
Uh, and, and certain asset classes uh, are very friendly for debt, such as real estate. Uh, other uh, asset classes are not, such as stock, right? Um, you can take margin on stock, but it, but it can get called back anytime, uh, anytime they choose to. So it's, re- it's really hard to plan for long-term collateral uh, on, certain, on certain asset classes. So it's important that when you develop an investment strategy to investigate like, well, how can I blend in debt with this vehicle if I wanted to take on leverage? Maybe not now. Maybe I can own own the asset free and clear now, but maybe it's maybe debt is something I want to bring in later um, to blend things up and to create some more leverage. And maybe once I've gotten my skills down on my investment strategy to, you know, uh, throw some rocket fuel into the fire by um, by bringing in debt to help me accelerate my growth. So, um, so Dr. Iggy, that is your your wealth tip today: is the proper use of debt and the different kinds of debt that are out there. What do you think? Oh no, it's really important to know that because we we we're all taught, and I think we've talked about this before that that debt is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I know my always thought that that it's a terrible thing. Um, well, I other- mean, and and to be honest, debt has been misused and has yeah. destroyed people. It has absolutely, and, and you can, and, and the reason why you're going to go bankrupt is because you have too much debt right? Debt will bankrupt you if it is improperly used. Um, and it is, it is way, it is made way too accessible. It is a weapon of mass destruction. Um, but it is also the absolute key to anybody that you could look at that's wealthy has figured out how to leverage debt into their, in their business. And and you're never going to get like uber wealthy or kind of percent smack your wealth goals out of the park, or you're not going to get there as fast if you don't properly use debt in your growth business. So, um, yeah. what's that? Said, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's your favorite phrase. I love it. Um, so listen, man, I, I, we got a phenomenal guest, man. I mean, I, I love all of our episodes the same, but this is yet another uh, great episode. We, uh, with, with, uh, Tony J Robinson, um, who is, uh, you know, as I say in the episode, he's also, he's also the co-host of the bigger pockets rookie podcast. Just a really dynamic and depth human being. I mean, not just real estate guy, not just family man, not just uh, an athlete, not just uh, you know a well a good minded soul. Uh, just a lot of great things. And I think that uh, Iggy, we we met a rising star today. Um, we met someone who has not actualized a quarter of the potential success he's going to have in this world. So I, I think that the people in this world are going to be talking about Tony G. Robinson for many, many years to come. And, uh, and I think that we're just seeing the beginning of what he's up to. What do you think? I totally agree. And, and he might be the next Tony Robbins. I think I mentioned that a couple of times and getting them confused. I, I think he has a lot to offer to society. So it's going to be amazing to watch him grow. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think you guys will enjoy the episode um, uh, make sure you, uh, listen to the end where Dr. Iggy goes deep dive with Tony J. Robinson, t- giving him all kinds of health tips, uh, for his, um, for his bodybuilding, uh, uh, you know, adventures and things like that. So make sure you check all that out. Let's bring in our guest, Tony Robinson. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with us. Brother. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm beyond grateful to be here with you guys. Excited to get into it, man. 
Awesome, awesome. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm grateful to uh, to uh, have you on the show. As soon as I met I, you and I met at BPCon uh, mm-hmm. a couple about a month or so and some change ago. Can't believe it's already yeah. been that long. Um, but uh, I was immediately impressed with your energy, your vibe. You know, you just got this you got this vibe going on. I'm like, that's eh, somebody I would like to get to know further. So when I met you at BPCon, I immediately was like, I need to have him on the show because I know that you uh, would be a great chat for me and Dr. Iggy to get into here um, and that. And so uh, I, I'll also just because you just seem like you're you're not going to self-promote too much because you're a humble man like I am, right? So I'll just throw out there, you are the co-host of the Bigger Pockets Rookie Podcast. You do a phenomenal job on that show um, and that. But uh, before uh, we get into anything else about you, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself to our audience, tell them all about you and and uh, and how, how you got to today. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Like I said, thanks for having me on. Uh, but my name is Tony J. Robinson. Uh, not to be confused with Tony Robbins, who's a motivational speaker. Um, I've stepped into quite a few rooms and disappointed some people when they thought they were doing other guys. So I just want to make sure we get that out, out, out in the front. But um, yeah, so real estate investor, uh, entrepreneur, father, husband. Um, I'm based in Southern California. Um, I'm actually relatively new to the role of real estate investing. We closed on our first deal on uh, October 29th of 2019. Um, mm. So we're sitting at like a little over two years when we got that first deal done. And um, it's just been a heck of a ride ever since. Uh, we started off buying single family houses in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, transitioning into the short-term rental space. And then I just put in an LOI yesterday on my first like boutique motel. So it's just been a nice progression ever since we started. But um, yeah, man, it, it's been a, a heck of a ride so far. What'd you do before you got into real estate? So I actually worked in a, in supply chain and distribution. So um, I managed warehouses uh, for uh, companies. So not the most exciting thing, but you know, it taught me a lot about leadership. Taught me a lot about operations. Taught me a lot about um, you know just being a professional. Like my last job, I had a team of I don't know 550 people spread out across like 10 different distribution centers around the United States. So um, big learning experience for me on on how to lead at a, a large scale. So fix those distribution problems right now. Yeah, we do that, man. <laughs> like, can't, can't man, man, I, 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 I hung that win, one up, man. man. <laughs> I hung that one up. And I'm so glad I got out when I did because, you know, this year has been even more challenging than, than before. Yeah, oh, can my. you imagine what you'd be dealing with right now with all the mess going on in the world? I would have those? even less hair than I have right now if I was still working there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm curious. I mean, like, well, you know, see, this is what we told you in the green room, man. Me and Iggy just like to go on tangents, man. So I'm just yeah. going to put you on the spot right now, man. What yeah. do you think about all that? About all the supply chain challenges that have been happening in the world and all the, you know, container ships are sitting off the coast where you live out there in California and all that. I mean, what do you have any opinion on the whole thing? I mean, if it's completely outside of your scope, I get it. But I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, I, I think that it's it's expected. The mm. supply chain has such a long lead time, mm-hmm. right? Like if we want, like when I was where I was working, I work in distribution. So which is, you know, different part of the supply chain network. Like I actually focus on moving the things, but we had yeah. other people that focus on the planning side of things. And they had to be like a year out, right? They, they had to have a crystal ball on what demand was going to be and what consumption was going to be to try and get the supply chain to move at the right pace. So I think with all of the, like no one could forecast with what happened with the pandemic. Like when I was working my W2, we had these models and they, they were wrong because this was such a new thing that they had, they had never dealt with before. So I, I think that it's, it's, predicted, you know, that we were, that we were going to be in this situation. Um, but there's so many smart people uh, in the world of supply chain. Like I have met some of the brightest people ever. Um, so I'm, I'm fairly confident these things will start to kind of sort themselves out. 
Yeah. Because I remember driving, because I used to race on in Carson on the track, and then I would stay in Long Beach. And I remember driving, and I would see all these trucks, you know, all lined up, because I would try to take shortcuts. I don't know what I was thinking. And I was like, this is a freaking mess. Mm-hmm. There were tractor trailers, and you're stuck behind them. You don't know it's a vehicle. Like, you wait with them. They're all waiting in line. And and I'm like, this is already a supply chain mess. <laughs> COVID hits and I'm like, oh no. And now there's this. I I I I don't know. Yeah. I think the demand came back a lot faster than people were anticipating. So now there's this big game of catch up that's trying to be played by everybody everywhere. So makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for that. I know that's yeah. <laughs> this is not the supply chain central show uh, <laughs> that, but I just couldn't help yeah, uh, and did dive on that one. I, and Iggy started it for the record. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. I, these troublesome. Oh, he's good throwing the stink bomb questions out. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, at some point in your life, the real estate light switch or light bulb or whatever mm-hmm. lit up over your head that got you yeah. into real estate. And we can unpack all that, you know, the real estate ventures you've done, but like, what was your aha moment that got you to like, okay, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to start pushing into real estate. There were, there were a few for me. Um, the first was my dad. Uh, so when I was growing up, uh, my dad, um, actually worked in supply chain also, um, but he, yeah, he ended up leaving that job to start a real estate business and oh, he was essentially, didn't yeah. yeah. So my, my dad was essentially a, uh, a wholesaler. So he was helping investors in California, uh, buy properties in Detroit, Michigan. Um, he had like really good deal flow. He was working with some bank, you know, getting all their like, you know, properties they didn't want to foreclose on. So he had really good deal flow, setting up investors in California. Um, and he was making a kill and doing it. Did it for about five, six years. Um, and then the, the crash happened and their business folded. And one of the things my dad told me was, you know, one of the regrets that he had was that he didn't keep any of those properties for himself, right? Like he was mm-hmm. making all the transactional money. But once that stopped, he had no assets left over to to hold him over. So it was a, a big learning experience for him. And and he always preached to me that unless you want to get up and clock in for a job every day, you need assets that produce ongoing passive income for you. So, you know, I think just kind of seeing the impact that I had on my dad and then us as a family financially, you know, I think that stuck with me. Um, so that was the first thing. And then I became a dad much earlier than most people. I was 16 years old. My son was born. I was a junior in high school. So I I think that experience gave me a certain focus uh, to make sure that I had the financial security to provide for him early on um, that a lot of people my age didn't have. So I have this experience with my dad, my own mm-hmm. experience with father, fatherhood early on. So I always knew that I needed to kind of get into this when, when the time came. So anyway, go to college, graduate, you know, start climbing the corporate ladder, do really well there. Um, and as soon as I have some money saved up, you know, I, I, I told my wife, who was my fiance at the time, I said, hey, uh, I think I'm I'm ready to do this and think I'm ready to get started. And um, I was lucky enough that she trusted me uh, to buy this house in the middle of nowhere that she had never heard of before. Um, and and yeah, but that, that's how we got started. It was, it was those two kind of moments that kind of pushed me into making it happen. And how long was that? So that was that was two years ago uh, when you that did was, your first yeah. deal right at college. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a uh, 2019 October 29, 2019. So I was maybe four years out of college at that point. Four or five years out of college. At that point. Okay. Okay. So was it tough? Because I mean, I had a tough time when I was 25, 26, you yeah. know, my first child. And at 16, I mean, that is 
I, I could not even imagine. I mean, I it, imagine at 16, it, it's like you're I like 38. Well, I was 38 years old when we had our son and I still wasn't ready. You know, um, I remember myself at 16, you know, and I was a mess, you know, but, but my guess is Tony is that these things likely uh, you got to step up to life versus step mm-hmm. into life. Right. So life kind of mm-hmm. happens and you're like, Oh shit, I guess I got to get my act together now. I guess mm-hmm. I gotta, whatever. So, but my guess is that that probably matured you a bit in that moment, in, in that moment. Right. An incredible amount, you know, and a a lot of people look at my story with a certain level of sympathy for me to say, oh, man, like what a what a difficult thing that you you had to go through. But I honestly feel that I wouldn't be sitting here talking with you guys had I not gone through that because it, it did mature me. But like I said, it gave me this very crystal clear focus about what I needed to get done. And there's no motivation, like knowing there's another human being relying on you to get some shit done. So having that kind of behind me is what really pushed me to, to kind of be where I'm at today. I just got all these shells that ran up my neck. Um, that's it. We're done. That's it. That's it for the show. Thank you very much. It was a healthy, wealthy, wise guy show, everybody. <laughs> I think he's dropping his broken microphone on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's a nugget, man. Thank you for that. It, well, let's keep going. So then... Uh, the light bulb hits, you've got a enormous, like life-size Y, right? Mm -hmm. This is this little one here, right? Um, But wait, uh, more kids or just that kid? Just him for now. Yeah. That's it. You good. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> enough. Yeah. yeah right, he, right. And he's he he's actually turns 14 in like 10 days. So now we're going through like all the stuff that comes along with like raising a teenager and like it's oh yeah. no. It's, it yeah. They're not funny. <laughs> yeah. Iggy can tell you about that. Yeah. Right. He he's a great kid, but it's like he's a you know, he's at that age where he's starting to try and find his independence and the girls are becoming a bigger thing. And you know, but two yeah, years I mean, ago. Yeah, Two years yeah. ago, I had to force him to put on deodorant. Now he spends 30 minutes in the morning, you know, like doing his hair and doing so. It's just, you know, it's it's a weird <laughs> space we're in right now. It's like some days I think he's mature enough to file my taxes. And other days I think like, you know, why do I have to tell you to do this? So it's, yeah, it's so weird. I, well, it, well, not the hell, let's go there, right? So I was a, um, I, my, my nephew, uh, he was like 14 and I remember hung, I hung out with him for a weekend. Um, and I talked to his mom after he left and I was like, you know, there's not like this hybrid mix of the two. There's either, there are moments when he was mm-hmm. being a little boy, you mm-hmm. know, where yeah. he was being a child. And yeah. there were moments where he was being a man. And right. it's not, there was not, the, it's not like this mix of the two or whatever. It's just, he was either being one, it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you right. know, he was being one or the other in any given moment. So, so I wasn't yeah. sure who I was going to get when I was talking to my nephew. Like, I'm gonna get, am I going to get the boy? The, mm-hmm. Or am I going to get the man, you know? Right. Um, and then sometimes you would get one response in one sentence and the other, like the boy would say something and the man would throw on top of it, you know? So yeah. um, it was an interest. it's an interesting dynamic with that at that age, you know? But it's also, it's been so refreshing because like I've, I've been a very intentional parent about oh, yeah. like the lessons okay. that I want to impart into him, you know? And to see some of those, because you never really know as a parent if you're doing it right. But like he's starting to get to the age where I can see that he's internalized some of those things that we've talked about. So it's, you know, it's rewarding at the same time. See you make an impact. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. That's great. Dr. Iggy, you had two teenagers. Yeah. I love it that my kids are wiser than I am. I mean, (laughs) my daughter 14, she's way wiser than I will ever be. And I mean, it's also that I love 
to death. But besides that, it's just amazing to see them. I mean, they're beyond growing. I mean, well, I don't know height wise, but, you know, well, Brandon is. They're already bigger than me, Tony. You never met me. I'm only five, yeah. five three on a good okay. day. <laughs> He's and a firecracker. Yeah. Running hokas, they give me like another three inches. Yeah, Matt, you can see my hokas. They, they give me like a lift. I'm like, I'm like super tall. No, I've never seen you. Always got the best workout gear, you know. I mean, Iggy's uh, he, a crazy workout maniac. We'll, we'll yeah. get to that in a minute here, but I want to hear more about this real estate thing, right? So your real estate, yeah. your real estate light popped. You got your why. Mm-hmm. You got your you got all this going on. So then you uh, you said you jumped into one long term hold, and then that you flipped mm-hmm. over to short term rental. So why long term hold, and then why did you get into SDRs after that? So as I was like educating myself on how to become a real estate investor, um, I, I think I realized early on that going bigger faster was the way that made more sense for me to be able to replace my W-2 income. Um, so my initial plan was to become an apartment syndicator. I wanted to get into the world of apartment syndication. Um, I read Joe Fairless's book, um, the best ever book on apartment syndication, whatever it is. And uh, one of his first chapters was, if you want to be successful as a syndicator, you need a track record. Like it's hard for someone that has no real estate investing experience to go out and raise the money to Mm -hmm. take down a deal. And Joe said in that book that he started off with single family houses. So I said, well, shit, you know, if it worked for Joe Fairless, maybe it'll work for Tony Robinson too. So um, I knew that when I first started that I was going to the long-term rental single family game um, just to build that confidence in myself and be able to build confidence in, in others about my abilities. Um, so anyway, we do that. We go out, we buy a small handful of single family houses in Louisiana. Um, and then the summer, maybe somewhere around 2020, early 2020, we decide to, okay, let's, let's try and get the syndication thing going. So me and a couple of buddies, we, uh, we all kind of band together. We start off looking in, you know, we're in Phoenix, Arizona. We're trying to find some deals there. And it's like super hot. We can't find anything, right? Like we're getting it's hot like for all, all the reasons, the, right? Yeah. Right. You know, we're getting like the worst deals, right? Then we say, okay, let's go to uh, Kentucky. So we were looking in like Louisville um, and same thing. Like it's, it's, it's hard to kind of break into some of those markets as a new operator. So we're just like banging our heads against the wall for, you know, the better half of six months um, you know, weekly calls with brokers and trying to find these things. And we're just not finding anything that pencils out to kind of meet the returns that we want. And so we're sitting on some cash, you know, because we haven't been able to find any, any good deals. And um, a buddy of mine says, Hey, you know, I know you guys been thinking about apartment complexes, but you should think about short-term rentals. And um, he was like, I just got back from Tennessee. Um, I bought a cabin out there. Um, here's what we think it's going to do revenue-wise, profit-wise. Um, so he's like, hey, you know, you should check it out. So sight unseen, uh, we put an offer in on, on one of the cabins out there. Um, and it did phenomenally well for us in the first month that we had it. And within those first four weeks, we ended up getting our second one under contract. And it's just been kind of well, off to the races. Give me the stats on the, so you bought one cabin, which was where again, what location? <laughs> So this was in uh, the Smoky Mountains region of Tennessee. So the oh, cities yeah. of like Pigeon Forge and, and Gatlinburg. Yeah. No, I know. That's, that's the God's country up there, man. It's beautiful. <laughs> I, I call yeah. that area Denver of the Denver on the East Coast. You know, that's, like that's that Asheville, that whole area. It's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So what, give us the specs, man. You, you paid what? What what are like? How did you structure it out? What what did it cost yeah. you to fit it out and make it Airbnb mm-hmm. or STR level? And then what does the revenue look like? Yeah. So this, this cabin is the best investment that we've ever made. Like, I don't think we'll ever be able to match what One of those we got for this on, cabin. Right? I, I got a few yeah. of those. Yeah. Right. So we, uh, 
we bought the cabin for $590,000. It was a five bedroom, five bathroom cabin, um, about 2,600 square feet. Um, we, we had a 10% down vacation home loan to purchase it. Um, we were able to get a credit from the seller. So our, our like all in costs, like cash to close down payment, and everything was 59 grand on that property. We spent maybe like another five grand, um, and like, you know, swapping out beddings, linens, getting some you new know, silverware, things like that. It was furnished when you bought it. It was furnished when we bought it. It was already okay. an existing vacation rental when we purchased it. So we just bought it from someone who was already running it as a vacation rental. So everything uh, was already fully furnished. We just came in and kind of spruced it up a little bit. So we spent another five grand. So we're we're all in for like $64,000, $65,000 on this property. Um, this is the first short-term rental that we ever operate. Um, the first month of revenue was like $947, right? Like we, you know, we, we had a few bookings that came in that first month. The next month we did like $12,000. And the first 12 months that we owned that property, we did about $144,000 in revenue with that one cabin. <laughs> we Why? Prof- why? Is it because of the location? Because you got lucky? Because uh, like why? Why did why did you reel in that much? I mean, you're talking about like the talk about like in real estate, we talk about the two percent rule, right? Right. You're at the three percent rule, right? Right. So, <laughs> how was that? Is that just what STRs do around three percent, or is that like is that cabin a bit special? I think it's a little bit special. You said you wish you had more of them like that. I mean, yeah. what makes that cabin lease out so much? It's it's a little bit of both. Um, First is that it's a larger cabin, right? Like there's not very many five bedroom cabins um, that people can go out and rent in that market. So you're able to charge a bit of a premium when you have a larger property, but it's also not so big that you need, you know, large, large groups of people. Like it's not a 12 bedroom cabin where you're only getting like business retreats and conferences and things like that. So it's kind of a sweet spot in the size um, from a size standpoint. Mm. Um, I think also we bought at a really good time. We bought that cabin in the middle of COVID. Right. Like there were lots of people who were were thinking that the the travel and tourism industry was going to be shit for Bankrupt. months, for years. Right. Yeah. Right. So there was a lot of fear around that. When you say middle COVID, when was that? That was- we put it, yeah, we put it under contract in July of 2020. Perfect. And then I think we I think we closed right at the beginning of August on that property. There you go. Yeah. yeah. That- so right. there was a lot of fear around I that think that short term rental space. It was like a little window right there. It was a great time to buy real great estate. Great time to buy. Because people were like, oh, we can go outside and we can start <laughs> to. And those that jumped on opportunities, I mean, that right. Iggy and I did an apartment building deal. And and that's and that still is our best the apartment, the best apartment mm-hmm. building deal I've ever done was, was yeah. right in that time frame because you kind of caught you kind of caught the way you, you kind of just it's just like putting a sailboat in the rudder in the in the water right, right before the wind starts to blow. Yeah, you know, and it's like whoosh, comes in. Right if I it. if I had the resources that I have today and the knowledge I have today, like at that time, I man, it would it would be game. Yeah, over. but, but anyway, out, you, right? but you, you learn what you learn. But you also don't know what the time that you're you in don't. when you're in it, right? Right. No, but nobody right. knew that that little three month window was going to be probably the, one of the best times to buy real estate in the last ten years. You know. Yeah. Um, but. But because we didn't know what was going to come after that, no inflation, whatever, print lots of money to get us out of COVID, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we, still, we still don't know. I know. Yeah. Oh, we don't know true. right now. Like right now, it could be the best time to buy, you know, or it could be the worst time to buy. Who knows, right? Yeah. But so, so, so that deal, that deal screaming off the page. It's got the five bedroom tip, 
uh, and that, and it's probably near a lot of fun stuff because people want to rent yeah. short-term rentals that are either completely off the grid or that are near stuff, right? So which yeah. one, is it off the grid or is it near stuff? So that's the beautiful thing about the Smoky Mountains is that you still kind of feel like you're in a, a remote-ish destination because you're in the in the hillside, the mountains, you know, there's greenery everywhere. But as soon as you get out of the little area where the houses are, there's a, an like a tremendous amount of attractions and things for families to do and shopping centers and things, you know, so there it's, it's the best of both worlds. So that cabin did great for us. So on that, on that 143 that we grossed, we netted, I think 80 or $82,000. Like that's what we netted on that one property. So we got back our entire initial investment plus some with that one one. property in year one. And you get that was, and we get to hold it. Right. And what's even crazier guys is that, that same cabin, if we sold it today, is probably worth like a million dollars now. Like there are cabins around the corner from us that just sold for close to a million dollars. So it that's what I'm saying. I, I couldn't do better than that even if I tried. Uh, so what's the game plan? You're going to hold that for what, 10, 20 years? Forever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, for that one, it, it feels like it makes sense to hold it for, for the long run, right? Like it, it's a cash cow. Um, I think eventually we might look into refinance and to pull out some of that equity because we built some up so quickly. Um, but yeah, we we just want as many of those types of properties as as we can. Yeah, I, um, I get that, man. Right, let's do let's do more of those. Um, yeah. All right. So th- is that uh, my my guess is you got a full injection of this thing of the short term rental Kool Aid at that point? You're like, okay, right. that's it, nothing else. You know, making yeah. all the, making all this money. So fast forward us to today. You've now, I assume, built a business around short term rentals, and yeah. where did you go from there? Location, strategy wise, that whole thing. So one of the unique benefits that comes along with um, purchasing a short-term rental as opposed to a traditional investment property is that you can use what's called a vacation home loan to finance them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the vacation home loan is a 10% down loan um, as opposed to you know, 15, 20, 25% you see with a lot of investment type properties. Um, and you get 30-year fixed Interest rates are super low. Our best interest rate on a short-term rental right now is like 2.625%. Um, but the the limitations that come with the second home loan are that it has to be in your personal name. So it can't be run through an LLC. Like the, mm-hmm. the loan itself can't be held by an LLC. Um, and you can only have one in each market. So I can buy one vacation home loan or use a vacation home loan in the city of Pigeon Forge, but I can't have another vacation home in that same market. And it makes sense, right? Like, you know, who would right. buy two vacation homes yeah. that are right next door to each other? So yeah, how bougie is going to be? Like I'll right. go to this vacation home in Pigeon Forge, but not that one, right? Exactly, exactly. First class problems, right? So I didn't realize you get more than one. I thought that you could only get one vacation home loan. As long as your DTI allows, you can get as yeah. many or up to 10, right? I think it's like what the max is per person. Yeah. Um, so after we got that first one in uh, in Pigeon Forge, we said, okay, let's go do another one. What's another market where there's like a national park? And we landed on Joshua Tree, California, which is closer to, to my home. So I'm about an hour and a half away from Joshua Tree. Um, so we bought a short-term rental there. Um, so the way that we set it up is like, I got a a mortgage in my name and my partner got one, um, in each market. So there's two in uh, the Smoky Mountains, two in Joshua Tree. So after we kind of maxed out both of those markets, we said either we can expand to another market, um, or we can start partnering with other investors who can still leverage this vacation home loan. And then we'll manage like the the actual day-to-day management of it. So that's the route that we went down. Um, so after we got those first four on our own, uh, we started partnering with other people who would carry the mortgages for us. Um, and then we would do all the day-to-day management. And um, we're at 15 listings now. 
Um, wow. We just sold one a little while ago. Um, so yeah, we're we're just kind of off and off into the races. Now who fronts them? Who fronts the ten percent in that scenario? Is it is it is it the guarantor or is it you yeah. guys or a split? We have different structures. When we first started, there was a, a split. Um, we're at the point now where we feel that we provide enough value to where the the other person is bringing all the capital, and then our focus is finding the finding the deals, getting the property set up, and then manage them on a day to day basis. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Stuff like that. You you. Obviously, you have a whole system that's running. So, mm-hmm. you have a you hire third party property management company, or are you the third party property? We're we're self managing all of our properties, and I don't think we'll ever hire it out to a third party property manager. Our approach will be to bring someone in house that we can train up on our own. And here's why: that cabin, the first cabin that I bought, that did one hundred forty three thousand um, dollars in that first year that we owned it. Um, and it's on track to do about 190, I think, this year, like from January of this year to the end of this year. Um, that cabin did $86,000 in revenue in 2019. And it was with a professional property manager in that market. So for us, when we saw that, we realized that when you just because they're a professional property manager doesn't mean they're going to do a better job. And we've seen that over and over. Professional doesn't mean better, right? Professional does not mean better, right? So when we saw that, we realized that if we really want to capitalize and maximize the revenue from our properties, it's got to be us that's running it until we can get to the point where we've kind of reached this critical mass where it makes sense to hire someone in-house to, to manage it with our philosophy, um, with our kind of best interests in mind. So, so you don't text like, like right now, that, you know, someone needs to get in, the dishwasher's not working, you know, because I just know, because I'm an Airbnb person, Matt is too, we mm-hmm. we met them, I mean, I don't mm-hmm. own them. And I mean, I, I don't contact, I actually don't contact at all. If the bathroom backs up, I fix it, you know, those kind of things. But a lot of people, you know, will contact you. So is there, you you hire VAs to take care of that? Or what do you do? So, so our company is a team of three. It's me, my wife, and then uh, actually my wife's cousin, who's our third partner. And we each play different roles within the business. So my wife is the the guest communications person. So all of the, you know, hey, where's this? What's that? She's the one that, that handles all of those pieces. Um, her cousin, who's our partner, he handles like, he's the one that's paying all the vendors, right? When the cleaners need to get paid, when we, we need to send a plumber out, he's the one scheduling that. Um, paying the handyman, like he's the one that handles all the vendor relationships and things like that. Um, I'm the person that focuses on finding the deals, getting the funding set up, and then getting the, the money to actually buy the property. So we've kind of figured out what our groove is, what our what our lanes are, and, and it's allowed us to scale without kind of driving each other crazy. So are you still listing the sites on VRBO and Airbnb? Yeah. Uh, to, for leasing. Yeah. Right. Did they? T- did I hear that they take a 25% rake off of what the rent is? Uh, Airbnb and VRBO do. Uh, so uh, Airbnb is somewhere around like 15%. So they take okay. 3% from the host and then they charge the other 12% to the guest. Um, so oh. it, it's actually more that gets charged to the guest than what the host pays. I've noticed um, that for SDR that, that a lot of the, and this is something interesting that you don't see in long-term residential real estate or whatever, that a lot of the expenses get pushed over to the guest, right? Yep. That 12% fee, interesting. The cleaning fee. Right. Because you want to like, oh, yeah. well, I got to pay all this money in cleaning. You don't, though. The renter mm-hmm. pays the cleaning fee. Yep. You're just going to find the cleaner to do the work. 
But the cleaning yep. fee, the, the cost to put the bring the unit back to rent ready status is on the the tenant, right? Hundred um, percent. It's 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 a, something unique aside from like commercial real estate with like triple net stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's not something you see the user pay most of the overhead. That I mean, I mean, yeah, I get you still got to pay utilities and mortgage and that kind of jazz. I get that, but like cleaning fees and leasing fees are typically paid by the owner. You know, yeah. Um, so it's really cool. You mentioned Joshua Tree, California, and I—I I don't know if everybody knows the story of this place. I thought it's just a really cool. I researched it after you and I talked a while ago about it and all that. Can you tell us real quick why Joshua Tree? What makes it cool, and why? Why do you have your your aside that it's close enough to you? Mm-hmm. Why do you have your bullseye picked on Joshua Tree? Not yeah, to make so more after, competition here, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> there's already so much. You know, I, I've yeah. made the the blanket statement that when we move into a third market, I'm not going to talk about it anywhere because nobody, yeah, it's my top state market. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, but no, so we we like Joshua Tree for a lot of the same reasons that we like uh, the Smoky Mountains. Um, it's a national park, one of the most busiest national parks in the United States. Um, last time I checked, it was like number 10 on the list of most visited national parks. Um, there were like four point, I don't know, whatever million uh, before COVID. Um, obviously, during 2020, everything kind of slowed down a little bit. There were like 2.4 million vis- visitors annually. Um, but there's just a, a, a huge amount of uh, travel and tourism that goes into Joshua Tree to visit the national park, you know, come into the city, enjoy the amenities. Um, the other reason why we really like that market is because it's not like uh, Los Angeles, which is the other big city that I live next to. LA is this, what, the second biggest city in the United States, right? In terms of population, in terms of GDP, over a million dollars in GDP annually. Um, bunch of different industries. You've got the hotel industry, or I'm sorry, you've got the film and television industry. You've got music, you've got the ports, you've got uh, universities, you've got business headquarters, like any kind of big economic driver in LA. You can, you know, if you can think about it, it's, it's in LA. If you look at Joshua Tree, the main economic driver is people traveling into Joshua Tree, staying on a short-term basis, and they're either staying at the national park where they're camping out, or they're staying in an Airbnb like mine. Mm. And I like investing in markets that have a strong economic reliance on short-term rentals, because from a, from a policy standpoint, from a regulation standpoint, it helps me sleep at night. Because that's one of the big risks with short-term rentals mm-hmm. is that you never know which way the regulations are going to, to fall. Yeah. Um, so if I have a city like Los Angeles, where if LA said, hey, no more short-term rentals financially, LA doesn't care. Right, like LA does not care about the the little bit of revenue that's generated by short term rentals. No. If you turn off, short-term, about the, they care about the hotels. They care about the, the hotels. Like, like, let, right? Let's talk about Vegas, right? Like you're not going to buy a STR in Vegas, or you probably shouldn't, because the hotel lobby is enormous. Ex- like, enormous. They, they will squash you like a little cockroach if they decide exactly. they want to. Right? Yeah. So that, that's one of the things that I look for is to make sure that whatever market I'm going into, there's a strong economic reliance on short-term rentals. In Joshua Tree, there's no business headquarters. There are no major universities. There's no film. There's no TV. There's no major industry except for travel and tourism. People come in on a short-term basis. So mm. those are some of the reasons why I really like it. And the last reason why I like it is because at least it was this way. It's starting to change a little bit. But from a price standpoint... Um, there was still an opportunity to go in there and and find an abundance of deals that would cash flow really, really well. So when I looked at all those different pieces, it had the policies, it had the popularity that I look for and had like the price points. It all made sense for us to move into that market. I love it. And this is going to be silly, 
but I've never been there. And one of my favorite bands is U2. And so Joshua Tree, you know, I told you this. And it's my favorite. That's one of my favorite albums too. That whole, that whole U2 album, the Joshua Tree is phenomenal. Yeah, I don't I, know if it's based on the town. <laughs> I think it's a biblical thing personally. But yeah. <laughs> the tree, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's the actual Joshua tree is there. Yeah. yeah. The tree. Yeah. yeah. So, so it is so it is it is based on the town Joshua tree, the album. It is. Well, they the Joshua trees, they span all the way from California all the way through like Utah. Oh, so it's a type of it's, it's like a, it's a type of fir. tree. It is a type of yeah. tree. Okay. A Joshua yeah. tree. Yeah. But they just named the specific town because the park is there after the Joshua tree. There are listeners right now yelling at their phones uh that, that are about me and Dr. Iggy being so naive. Not knowing what, like, I think it's about the band, try about you too. And then, like, Tony's being all cool, like, no, it's a tree, dumbass. It's, it's, and, like, it's an actual, just named after a tree. That's all, nothing special. No you two, no Bible, no nothing, just a tree. All right. <laughs> now, did I, isn't the downtown portion like this? There's like a unique, eclectic, artisty thing going on in the downtown as well. Right. Yeah, but even like even the downtown area of Joshua Tree itself is like very, very small. You know, okay. it's like not even like a quarter mile like radius when you talk about the downtown of Joshua Tree. Uh, but there definitely is kind of this emerging kind of hipstery vibe um, or like just like to give you an example. Right. Like one of the people that recently booked our place, they uh, they said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm coming back from uh, a retreat. Uh, where I was mm-hmm. overseas for a little while. I want to come back and have a place where I can kind of uh, reconnect with nature. And I've got a sound bath scheduled for this day. So there's definitely like a, a, a certain demographic of people that's drawn to Joshua Tree. But you also have people that, you know, that are from the city, that are from LA, uh, that are from San Diego, that just want to get out of the hustle and bustle for a weekend. So you get a good mix of people kind of coming in for different reasons. That's awesome. That's awesome. There's a lot of, we don't have to go further, but just a lot of the statistics and methods that you've used to pick your markets are brilliant. I think I love the national park part of it. I love like um, major portion of tourism and stuff like that. I mean, I could see many other cities eliminating or, or, you know, heavily regulating Airbnbs and you see it happen. You see headlines happen. And these are like places like Orlando and whatnot that are heavily reliant upon either hotels or have other industries and whatnot. But I mean, the fact that you got markets that are big tourism sites that just for one reason or another, don't have lots of hotels, you know? Um, and that's, I think that's brilliant. What do you think, Dr. Iggy? I love it. I, I want to run it. Why don't we, I mean, I'm out. Just a retreat? Yeah. To Joshua Tree? I mean, I've never been. I think I'm going to bike out there. I'll bring my bike. Yeah. This is like, wonderful. Yeah, well, and Iggy's son goes to what? USC? No, he goes to UCSB. And oh, so, okay. and then my daughter and wife are down in San Diego, Del Mar area. So, yeah. There you go. Hey, just excuse that. You got, you got a place to take them over the weekend now. Right. You talk about this kind of stuff now. I've been waiting. No, well, let's go there. Right. I'm going to let, I'm just going to, I'm going to tee it up like a little golf ball and I'm going to let Dr. Iggy run with it. Right. So Tony, one of the things that we talk about on the healthy, wealthy, wise guy show is the, the merger of health and wealth. Right. And there are things that, uh, people just don't have time to do if they've got a full-time day job. Right. Um, 
And uh, that could be anything like, you know, I want to hike the Appalachian Trail from top to bottom, right? That'd be an awesome guest to have at some point on the show. So if you're listening, knows anybody that's hiked the whole AT, um, send, us a, send us a message at mattniggy.com. But um, I, uh, one thing, let, let's talk about, you ended up quitting your job recently. Um, and jobs are kind of one of those things that can suck a lot of time out of your day. But then when you get that time back, you get time to do things, as you said, like be a more active dad and uh, do family investments. So you, my friend, have chosen uh, something completely different. Um, aside from family, uh, yes, family, but uh, that free up of your time has allowed you to take on a whole new venture. And I'll let you talk about that and let's unpack that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I've always been like an athlete. So like growing up, I played basketball. Like I was just always very active uh, my childhood. Um, and, you know, as most people, as you enter into the workforce, you know, you start working that grind, you you kind of lose touch with those things that you you found joy and passion in before. And I was just kind of craving competition and challenge and like just the mental kind of grind that comes with pushing yourself in that way. So anyway, I signed up, uh, this actually did a competition three years ago now. Um, but it was a bodybuilding competition, an amateur bodybuilding competition. It's called, uh, men's physique. So if you look it up, men's physique is like a type of, uh, men's bodybuilding. It's not like the Arnold Schwarzenegger thing where I'm in like the, you know, the, the black, you know, tidy whities. Um, but it's like a board shorts where you're, you're in like swim drinks basically, and you're on stage and, um, uh, much shorter routine than like typical bodybuilding. Um, guys are not as big and bulky as what you see with, with some of the, the big bodybuilders. But what I love about the process is that, it's in basketball, you know, when I played in high school, you kind of knew the other teams that you're going to be going up against. Right. And and you could uh, kind of see them. You could go watch their games to get some game film and see what they were doing. But with bodybuilding, it's just you. There's no there's no teammate. There's no team members. It's just you, the gym, the food, the treadmill. And you can't even see your competition until the day that you get there. So it's like either you're going to you're going to put it all in and make sure that you you've got the best package possible or you're going to get there and it's not going to work out for you. So there there's so much about it that I've enjoyed and I'm, I'm looking forward to doing another one. Uh so we've got another show that we're training for that'll be happening maybe about 4 or 5 months from now. Oh, that is powerful stuff. So we're going to we're going to dig into this. Matt's going to be into this too. Um cuz bodybuilders themselves have always been very experimental. And whether you're in this men's physique or whatever range, I mean, the bigger you are, then the more likely those are the people that actually can, you know, have helped out medicine by -hmm. doing these N equals one experiments that, that have really driven it. So with that being said, you know, what special things have you learned throughout this process? Like, I mean, talking about workouts, two a days, one a days, you know, whatever you do, uh, uh, you know, regarding that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think the first is just like the, the level of dedication that's required to actually make a change in your body. Um, like I, I can tell you what my training schedule kind of looks like right now. So I wake up, uh, fasted cardio. Um, it starts off like as we get close to the competition or ramp up, like, you know, right now I'm doing about 25 minutes a day, fasted cardio once per day. 
Uh, as we get closer to the competition, that'll go from 20 to 25 to 30 to 35. We'll probably end somewhere around 40 minutes of fasted cardio. Then another 40 minutes after my workout. So we'll be doing cardio twice a day. Uh, but anyway, right now, wake up, fasted cardio. First meal has to happen at 6.30. Then I'm eating a meal every six hours until 10.30. Um, and then I train uh, in addition to the, the uh, fasted cardio as well. So my workouts usually happen sometime in the late afternoon or, or early evening. Wow. Fasted cardio. So that means that mm -hmm. you wake up, your body's in a fasted state, you're doing cardio, yeah. and then mm -hmm. are you working out, lifting and do it? We're getting what your workout regimen is right after that, but are you fasted cardio, then working out, then cardio again, or are you doing cardio later in the day again? It's Yeah, it's got to be separate. So you want your, your cardio to kind of like bookend your day, ideally. Um, mm -hmm. So right when you wake up, then again, kind of at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, I'll wake up, do do my fasted cardio, eat my first meal, and then maybe I'll go to the gym afterwards. But usually it's like kind of later in the day that I, I get to the gym. Okay. And then the last cardio, is it, it, it or the last cardio you're doing doesn't count as another fasted cardio. Um, no, it's just, a, it's a, you know. Like, Post-workout like cardio. Okay, yeah. got it. Um, Iggy, you want to go diet or workout? Mm, let's do workout first. Okay. Take us through a stand. Are you doing the same workout regimen every day? Or you switch it up, different muscle group every day? Talk us through your workout regimen. Yeah. So it's uh, six days a week right now. Um, I hit a different body group each day. You have some people that like to do like, you know, kind of the circuit compound motions where they're doing like chest and back or, you know, shoulders and tries, whatever it is. But I do one body part each day. Um, so I'll do my splits are typically, um, I'll do legs on uh, Sunday just because I like more time because legs just takes forever. So I usually do my legs on the weekends. Uh, Monday is the only day that I do two workouts together. So I usually do chest and back. Tuesdays are shoulders. Um, Wednesdays are chest again. Thursday is uh, arms. And then Friday, I'll do uh, back. Uh, so I split up each body part throughout the week. Um, my workouts usually run, I don't know, probably like an hour, maybe an hour and some change on average. Um, but yeah, that's how I break it up for for myself. So talking about legs, because if you're wearing board shorts, how low are those board shorts? Are they going up to your knee? Like you need those quads, <laughs> or and do you have to roll them up for show or no? No, not for not for men's physique. So the the legs, the the quads aren't as important um, as like a bodybuilding competition. Like a lot of the focus is is up top, but you still want to be proportional when you step on stage because I think you can tell uh, even in board shorts which guys have been skipping leg days and which guys haven't. So you still want to present like a complete package when you're out there. And it just kind of you know I don't ever want to be that guy that can like bench press more than I can leg press you know so I, I, I try and make sure. Well, I they say balance. like your body's not just a bicep or a mm -hmm. tricep or whatever. It's it's a full functioning yeah. machine. So I would think that that by doing legs or throwing that in there, you're probably just training your body to just you know up metabolism, build muscle. Yeah. It's, it's certainly they say legs are just kind of where you're gonna you know kind of build your body into a furnace for burning fat mm -hmm. anyway. So yeah. I'm sure it helps you across the board, maybe not from a physique standpoint, but just from a getting your body in tune and an aligned standpoint. And just kind of from like an ego standpoint, like I've, I move the most weight when I'm doing legs, you know, it's like I can, yeah. I can leg press way more than I can do on the bench or anything mm -hmm. else. So it's nice to kind of see yourself moving that heavy weight also. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so then what else? So you do, obviously you're talking about leg press. So mm-hmm. are you doing massive reps? I, I don't, I'm trying to think on, on what would benefit you the most uh, for that kind of stuff. So I assume you need good glutes because that'll look good in the board shorts too. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily God bless you with that. So if you ask my wife, she says that's like my best body part. But, <laughs> um, but now like the, the rep count, it, it varies. I mean, like it depends on the exercise. Like if we're, if we're doing shoulders, like if I'm doing like, uh, lateral raises, we might be hitting 20 reps each time. If I'm doing the leg press, I'm probably doing somewhere between 10, 10 to 12 reps. Um, so depending on the, the exercise, depending on the weight, um, that'll kind of dictate. But I'd say on average, somewhere around 12, 12-ish reps is probably what I'm trying to hit. Yeah. So then are you doing single legs for the leg press or, or both? Uh, what would same leg or both legs together at the same time? Because I was, uh, well, um, I should eventually hey, you want to just, just just ask him how much weight he's putting up on the bench bar on the leg press come on <laughs> matter it doesn't matter it doesn't Every, matter they used to do it all the time for cycling and yeah. so there were some like it's on the angle mm-hmm. so it's the pitch how much does the sled weigh there's like a whole bunch oh, of oh yeah that's a good point yeah. legs are so i can leg press way more than a lot of people because my legs are so tiny that's uh, I never thought about that. Press. Like I was designed for bench press, so I broke this clavicle many times. But it's because there's no movement. It's like ding ding ding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I never I never thought about that. I'm 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 a kind of a taller guy. I'm six one, so maybe I, I am at a, a bit of a disadvantage because I I got got a longer way to go. You got a good butt, so that may make, <laughs> that that makes up according for to your it. wife. Right. <laughs> yeah, <according laughs> <to my> wife. <laughs> oh, All right. We talked about that. Should we talk about uh, any supplementation? Food? I was going to say diet and supplements. Let's go there. So yeah, supplementation. What are you putting in? You know what? What's and before the before we even go there, what's allowed in these competitions? Mm-hmm. Are, are you having to do yeah. testing to qualify for these competitions, or are you? Is it free reign or what? Yeah. So NPC does not require testing, um, which puts me at a disadvantage because I'm a natural guy. Um, like I love health and fitness, but I don't love it enough to uh, to kind of experiment with some of the things that some of the other guys are. No disrespect to them, right? Everyone's got their their own goals and kind of what they're shooting for. But for me, the uh, the benefits aren't outweighed by the the risks in my mind. So I'm a natural guy, which means I'm going to be smaller than a lot of the other guys that come up onto stage. Um, so the way that I have to beat them is by being more lean, right? And, and making sure that you can see every muscle fiber in my body when I step up on, uh, step up on a stage. So that comes down to the diet. Like you got to be locked in with the diet. Um, since I'm still some ways out for the show, um, I get a cheat meal about every two weeks right now. Um, as we get closer to the show, that goes out to about every four weeks. So once a month, I'll get a cheat meal. Um, but again, What's I, your I cheat eat meal? What's your favorite cheat meal? Uh, uh, we're going uh, Pizza Hut. I'll get like the big dinner box. So I come to two pizzas, the breadsticks in between. Um, and then like, I'm a, I'm a big ice cream guy. So I'll get like a cold stone, you know, like I got to have it with all the yep. mix-ins and stuff. Yep. And then I got to finish it off with like some peanut butter cookies, freshly baked. And, and that'll, that'll make me a happy man. So yeah, that, that's my go-to cheat meal. Um, that sounds great. Okay. So not, yeah. to, not to focus too much on that. I want to get you hungry here. Right. So, yeah. so um, yeah, so getting out, so getting away from that. Are, are you taking, before we get away from supplements, are you taking any type of dietary supplements or vitamins or um, anything that's non, non-food related, but just body boosting? Yeah. So we take, I take a B12. Um, I do creatine twice a day and I do BCAs three times a day. Dr. Iggy, what's BCA? Well, branching amino acids. 
So we got to teach you. There, there's things you can take that that are totally. Do you, did you try essential amino acids yet? No, I haven't. Is so that me, that awful shit you made me take that one time, Doctor Iggy? Essential amino oh, acids. God, tell them all about that. Amino acids help you grow, but they also really spike your blood sugar levels. So as okay. you get older, they're not great for you. So you might want to look into essential amino acids, which are branched chain amino acids, but they have other things that are, are obviously essential. So instead of just leucine, isoleucine and whatever the other one is, there's also valine and, and a whole bunch of other ones. I, I'm drawing a blank. But anyways, okay. you might want to look into that. And then also, you don't take beta alanine? No. Oh, see, now I can help you. I can beta help. Al- <laughs> beta al- so that, that actually helps you with explosiveness. Okay. And, it kind of, and then now, have you ever tried the fancy one baking soda? No, <laughs> people people just take baking soda for like workout reasons. I didn't does know. He have, does he have to snort it, or is it just uh, you take it? Around? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the whole idea is when you lift, you, you're going to raise your acidity in your blood. It's so the baking soda could help. You just have to experiment very slowly with it because you mm. will get distress in your gut. And um, how do I say this? Um, it's an we're explicit show. You can just say it's the first time you try that. Let's put it that way. What's that? Okay. <laughs> don't do like press. Dude, don't do uh-huh. really close. Loosen you up with it. <laughs> All right, good to know. You will truly be able to if you take beta alanine, which is totally legal, totally mm. natural. It might actually be healthy for you. And same thing with baking soda periodically, not all the time. Mm. I mean, these are two healthy kind of functions, especially, you know, and it could really help out. So I just looked at the beta alanine. I have to check that one out. I've never, uh, never heard of that one before. So I'm mixing it with myself. Explosiveness. If you see, I go to examine.com and that's where I do all the research for supplements to see the safety and stuff like that. And, and Yeah, those are yeah, but now now I'm raising your expenses on this kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm already spending enough on uh, on he's supplements, but it's I did the same thing. And yeah, I know he's got me on like five or six different supplements. Uh, yeah. So welcome to my world. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so the, that's your supplement regimen. Uh, talk to me about uh, talk to us about food. Uh, you're yeah. eating six times a day. Um, mm-hmm. Are you breaking it down by calories portions? Uh, you, you know, ratio of, of carb to protein to fat, you know, it's, it's tell yeah, tell us what you eat and how, and how you're calculating it. Yeah. So, um, my, my coach, I hired a coach to train me for the, for the show. And he's like a, an old school bodybuilder guy. Like he was actually up there, like in the Arnold uniform, you know, doing the whole bodybuilding <laughs> posing and routine. And, um, we, we don't count calories. Um, I don't count macros. Uh, but he does give me a, a diet plan. He switches it every two weeks. And the way that he kind of adjusts the diet plan is by just looking at my body, right? So when, when, we're, at, when we're at the gym together, uh, when I'm at his location, take my shirt off, you know, have me go through like a little routine, look at my body. And literally he'll look at me and he'll say, okay, you need like a, a half a cup more rice. Or okay, hmm. we're gonna we're gonna add you know a couple more vegetables to this. Like so, what what's going on in his mind? I have no idea. Uh, but you know, it worked for us on the last show, so I'm trusting him, trusting the process that, that that's how it'll go. Um, so yeah, every two weeks I get a different meal plan. Um, right now I'm actually at five meals a day. As we get close to the show, it'll get to to six, and I'll eat every three hours and fifteen minutes. Uh, but right now I'm at five meals every four hours. Oh wow! 
Yeah, that's impressive that that guy can do that. It, yeah. it, you know, right when I was thinking about it, I could just see it right there, and it looked like a, like a sorority thing. You know, shirt, <laughs> and they're like, "Where's the fat?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's essentially what it is. Yeah, and then they draw circles on you with the. Fat shames you, right? Yeah. Um, so what what's in the what is a, a typical meal though? Like a, a typical, you sit about it once every you know six hours or so. Every, currently, what yeah. what is in that meal? These guy you eating? Yeah. So like right now, my meal plan is six thirty. I have four whole eggs, uh, half an avocado, uh, fourth or I'm sorry, four ounces of ground turkey. My next meal is a is a protein shake. Uh, my next meal is six ounces of fish. Uh, six ounces of uh, sweet potato, and then half a cup of uh, veg- or a full cup of vegetables. Then my next meal is a chicken salad, and then my last meal is two whole eggs and another protein shake. So that's where we're at right now. So um, the only carb again, I just heard in there was the sweet potatoes. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. The, the, and mm-hmm. that, and that's like a really good complex, yeah, like a good that's like you know good carb, you know that a lot of yeah. people kind of allow even a low carb diet, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're on a high protein, low carb. I didn't a whole lot, not a whole lot of fats either. So no, like no oil. Are you putting dressing on that chicken salad? Uh, a little bit of Italian, but we have some, there's the avocado that I, I get okay, in the morning. Right. Yeah. And I get some more of my salad as well. Yeah. Oh. I mean, so it varies, right? Because uh, like a lot of people have this misconception that to train for a show, you need to completely avoid carbs. Mm-hmm. But the week of the competition, I'm eating a lot of carbs because what happens is, and this is how he's, he's explained it to me. So maybe, maybe you can correct me if this is wrong, but once you burn off a lot of your body fat and your body fat gets really low, if you start to fill up with a lot of carbs, it helps in like aesthetically helps inflate the size of your muscles. So you look bigger. So like the, my last show that I did, as I got close to the competition, I was eating like three cups of right rice a day. Uh, that week leading up to the competition. But I was also drinking like three gallons of water a day. Like it gets crazy that last week. So there's a a lot of carbon take that's needed to kind of fill your body up. Yeah. Did you lose the ripness when you did that? Like were your abs? I I guess not because you said you were very ripped. Yeah. Yeah, I'll send you guys a photo of what I looked like the day that I stepped on stage. But it's it was a very, very, very dry look. And you get that by, I guess, drinking a lot of water and then eating a lot of carbs, but having your body fat percentage already be really low. That you, is stuff. That's crazy. You probably couldn't sustain that for very long, right? Like that, that that's a no, short no. window for those results, right? Not not at all. And what's what's even crazier is that the day of the competition, you can't drink any water. Um, so like, yeah, in the, it was so crazy to me. And like, you know, when you, when you get backstage and you do the show, you know, there's a bunch of different guys back there, you know, you're back there for a long time because a lot of people that got to go on stage, you start like talking with the guys and the way that it works is it's like a two part day. So you go in in the morning, you have your pre-judging where they kind of see you for the first time. Then you have to come back in the evening and that's where you, you get on stage again. That's where they actually give you your placement. In the morning when we all met, you know, you're just kind of shooting the show with everybody and everyone's talking about like, man, I can't wait to have a cheat meal. Like I'm, I'm so hungry. You know, I haven't had this thing, but by the end of the day, right. It's like five, six o'clock at night. No one's had water. The only thing that you hear people talking about backstage is how thirsty they are because they haven't had anything to drink since the night before. So it's, it's a really, really kind of weird way you have to manipulate your body on that day of the show to kind of hold that form. But it's so crazy because the next day, you eat, you drink some water, your body looks completely different than it did 24 hours before. 
Oh wow! Yeah, so like, well, like once the kind of the competition's over and you can kind of like let like let your hands off the reins a little bit, then mm-hmm. it, it's a uh, huh. It's amazing yeah. how quickly our bodies change and respond yeah. to, respond to stimulus. Now, when you're on stage, do you spray on magnesium or drink like a little bit of wine to dilate your your blood vessels, or no? No, I've never even heard of that. Oh, we're giving you all the top secrets. Yeah. yeah, give us the give us a little secret. <laughs> yeah, what is First that? Of all, is, is, would, would you be allowed to drink wine? What's that? I don't know. I mean, I think so. Yeah, they're they're not checking for anything before you get up there. Yeah. Why? Confused. But why, Iggy? Why? Why the magnesium? Why wine? Depends on your responses. Like if you drink wine, it it kind of like vasodilates you a little bit. So like you'll see, like my ears will turn red, and that could be also the histamine release. So, but then the magnesium um, will really bring out your veins. I don't know mm. if that's a good thing or a bad thing to look, but usually that's a good thing. It's yeah. like yeah, I'll spray them, but magnesium itself is very calming. And it's a great way to absorb it. And it's good for you. Um, mm. So, yeah, you should experiment with that. But then your body will look. I, do you oil up or before or you're not? No, sick? no, no oil. Are you allowed to do that? Or do does, does some guys oil, some guys not? No, I've actually I don't seen think, that. Yeah, yeah. I don't. at least in the, in the last show that I did, I don't think I saw anyone oiled up. But what they did, they made all of us get spray tan. So even me with my dark complexion. I had to get spray tan because the goal is they want everyone on stage to have almost the same complexion. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. So then you couldn't even see your veins then. I would still pop, but yeah, I don't know. We'll get some magnesium spray. I'm just yeah. <laughs> yeah. See what it looks like. Oh, yeah. Quarter of a glass of red wine and a uh, and some magnesium spray. Let us know. How it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Rick, you got any other tips for Tony? You're like a wealth of, you're like encyclopedia yeah, no. over there with regards to tips, man. Anything else he can do? Yeah, well, the the rest would be very bad for him. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> diuretics, you know, to get out of the water, to get out the water at the end. And, and that's, yeah. So and that's I, what- I did, yeah, we were taking, uh, I was taking Expel, which I think is a, a type of diuretic. So we started that the last week of as well to start flushing out a lot of the, uh, the extra water as well. You can get hurt and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And, and all bodybuilders, uh, I mean, all, yeah, all of them do that. All of them. Mm-hmm. You have to be competitive. And yeah. that's, that's where the, the, the risk of the sport comes in because then your kidneys, you know, can really... Mm-hmm. So just making sure you get hydrated at the end. But it's yeah. also, it, it might actually be good for your body to periodically do this kind of stuff because it's a survival. It's, we were right. meant, it's just like when we were talking, Matt, last time, like uh, about giving blood. We mm-hmm. were, uh, now, we were meant to get hurt sometimes. We were meant to do this kind of stuff because our bodies need to adapt. So it might actually be, I hate to say this, but it no, I'm not even going to mention. Oh, that. please do! <laughs> you can't go there now. You can't. Man. I know you can't leave us the cliffhanger. You can't like do that. that. <laughs> I, I think I know where you're going to go, but go ahead. I don't go ahead. want anyone to take a diuretic to say it's healthy because then they'll do it every day. Right. I, I think period. I mean, how many shows are you doing a year? Like three? No, I only do one. I only one, do one a year. Yeah. One show a year, and you're only taking this diuretic for a week. Is I think could possibly, and you guys can write to the to the website <laughs> and tell me if I'm wrong because there's a lot of patients <laughs> that listen. To this. 
and you're not getting hate mail. But it might actually not be terrible for you, and it might have some benefit to you. Uh, just say it differently. Our, our bodies are made to be challenged. And, and the mm-hmm. whole thing about uh, giving blood, we talked about in a prior episode, which was that it's actually good for your body to give blood. Um, and that, that could be something, Tony. You can go give blood like a couple of days before the show. I mean, don't, no, okay, you said don't do that. Okay. You want that vascularity. And um, blood you would have to now replace with water you replace it with saline or water get an iv and he's not going to be as you know juice looking and he's going to he needs to look pumpy because he's he's taller like most of the people are a lot of them like what five seven five eight yeah that's the predominant height somewhere around five nine ish probably and so you beat them on the height. So then you mm. look, even if you are wider, you're going to look not as wide. Right. So he needs to look pumped up. So you take even a liter of blood from him. I'm in a liter, a pint of blood. Then you're, you're, yeah, you're going to lose that. Yeah, don't do that. All right. Okay. Good to know. We got to help you. <laughs> All right. Restrict. Am I talking too much? I got no, 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 no. I love that. I, I love seeing you because I I know how much research you've done on these kinds of things Seriously. on on ways to uh, accelerate the human potential and for for you know bodies to to do better in the world. And and I don't know if you know, but part of the show we do a health tip and a wealth tip. And okay. Iggy's health tips are always off the chain. They're always great. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it is wacky stuff too. Like you should eat more dandelions, you know? <laughs> <It sounds kinda, laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but anyway, I, I, I think, um, what, what else, anything else you got Dr. Iggy with regards to, uh, other, other health ideas to throw out there? No, the blood flow restriction training. Have you done that with the bands, you know, tying off, you know, not completely occluding or, or stopping blood flow, but lifting with, uh, blood flow restriction? No, no. What's the benefit of doing that? So you you get more hormone or hormonal release. So like if you cut off uh, circulation, not 100%. So there's still somewhat return, but it's hard for the blood to get through. Um, you can really benefit from uh, like lighter weights. And so like you do leg press, let's say you're doing, I don't know, a thousand pounds, whatever you're doing, and you, you occlude your legs. Now you can only do 600 pounds and you're doing the leg press and it's going to be harder and harder because each one, there's no uh, release. So every rep is going to get really, really tough. And then what you do is you do about 10 minutes exercise, then you release it. And uh, they're called Katsu bands was one of the originators. And you can see he's older and uh, you don't have to buy his brand. I'm not promoting his brand, but you can see he's old. I think he's in his seventies and he's still working out and he's jacked hmm. uh, because this is what he does. And uh, there, there's a lot of health benefits to doing the blood flow restriction. Yeah. Right, so I just I, I just added that to my list. So now I've got the the beta alanine, these uh, blood flow restrictions. Amazon's going to be happy that we have this I conversation because yeah, they're going to yeah, be yeah. like, "What is all this stuff?" That Jeff Bezos is going to say, "Iggy, yeah, yeah, thank you, Larry." Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, well, we should probably take it home. Uh, you know, Tony, I want I, I want to uh, I, I want to wish you the best on your on your on your uh, the competition. When is your when is the show? When's the competition? 
So we're, we're still trying to nail down a, a specific date. Um, actually, my, my 31st birthday, there's a show um, in February. So I'm thinking I might want to do that one just to be a cool way to celebrate my birthday. But somewhere around like February or like March time. Nice. nice. Great. Yeah. I wish you the best of luck until then, man. I mean, uh, and um, let's, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into how people can get a hold of you uh, in a second here. But I want to take you through the final exam if you're ready. Yeah, uh, let's get into it. Cool, let's get it, man. All right, I'll go first. What book or film changed your life? And aside from, uh, I know a lot of Bigger Pockets book because you're a bit, you're a Bigger Pockets talking head like myself. Um, what uh, aside from any any of the any of the Bigger Pockets content? What other book or film changed your life? One that that I read maybe a couple of years ago that had a profound impact on all of my relationships was the Five Love Languages. Um, really, really great book that gives like a phenomenal framework for talking with your spouse about how to have a very loving relationship with one another. But the principles of the five love languages apply to any kind of relationship. So after I read that book, my wife and I, like we started to realize, okay, what's, what's my son's love language? Like, how does he mm. want to be loved? You know, or like if I had an employee at work, how do they want to be appreciated at work? So it was, I saw just kind of a wide uh, application from that book, even outside of the the initial premise. That's great. My wife and I read the uh, devotional a couple of times a week from that book. That there's like, okay. like, you know, hey, it's, you know, January yeah, yeah. 3rd or whatever. And you read the date and it's like the the lesson from that day and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a phenomenal book. Okay. I was just thinking about it. Yeah, that's still my audible. I listened to that twice. I, I love that yeah. book. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do, let's change this a little bit. What's one healthy habit you wish more of your friends did? <laughs> more of my friends did. Um, man, that's a, that's a good one. I think, I don't know if this is a habit as much as it is. It's not like a physical habit. It's more of like a mental habit. Um, like in this, something. My, so my wife is actually training for this competition with me and this is her first time doing it. So she's, um, you know, experiencing a lot of this for the first time. Um, and one of the things she said early on is that she really doesn't enjoy the eating part of it, right? Like she, she gets a lot of joy out of eating food that's not necessarily healthy for you. And the, like the, I guess the, the mental habit that I, I'm trying to get her to understand and, and just everyone in general is that I don't enjoy eating, you know, unsalted ground turkey in the morning. <laughs> Um, but I enjoy the benefits that come from it. So it's like, as I'm eating this food, I'm trying to create a positive mental association of this action to the goals that I have. And I think if people can frame the hard thing that they're doing, not just with the fact that it's hard, but with the results that come from it, it becomes easier to kind of push through those things in the long term. Mm. That is- and yeah. that's actually a Tony Robbins thing. So not me, but Tony Robbins talks yeah. about like positive mental association. So that, that's where I started. I heard, uh, I, I, and, and I heard, um, oh geez, uh, Hal Elrod talk about, um, mm-hmm. you know, just letting go of taste and texture and uh, the things that make food taste good. If I, if I mm-hmm. trade out taste and texture in exchange for longevity and my health and feeling great, maybe that's that's probably a really good trade to worth it worth yeah. making right yeah um so all right what is one uh, wealth tip you wish you had learned earlier in life i wish i had learned earlier 
You learned, you learned the real estate gig pretty early, man. And like your dad taught you. I don't know, man. It's cool like I look stuff, at but, yeah. I look at some other guys, and I'm like, uh, like, like I don't know. There's other people who are, you know, we interview a lot of people on the podcast, and you mm-hmm. know, this 21 year old does this crazy thing, but you know, I'm grateful that I got him when I did. Um, but I, I would think that the one thing that I wish I had learned earlier is that we we are all born with a certain I think like expectation of money and what is a lot of money and what isn't a lot of money and how much money can be made by doing certain things. And, you know, like my dad was always kind of up and down with his career. You know, he had some really good times. He had some really rough times. My mom, you know, she was, you know, single mom worked really hard, but never really made a ton of money. So I had this certain relationship with money growing up where I thought it was, it was, it was scarce, right? That there wasn't always a lot of money to, to go around. And it wasn't as I started to become an adult and interact with the people that, that had success financially, that I was able to kind of change my own relationship and understanding um, of money and the fact that it is really abundant. So I think that's something I just would have wish I would have realized earlier is that just because my financial situation was a certain way, it doesn't mean that that's always the way that it's going to be. And that, you know, Mm. if you can approach money with the right mindset, you can tap into the limitless uh, money that's out there for, for you to work with. How limitless money is. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I wish uh, I learned that too. That's a good, that's a good lesson, man. Thank you. Yeah. I think you are Tony Robbins. This is like <laughs> maybe all guys like Tony. Maybe anybody named Tony is just yeah. Well, and so we got it. The 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 next one in line. The, the next reincarnation, right? Yeah. All right. So what do you do for fun? For fun, um, not a whole heck of a lot, man. I mean, the gym, you know, I enjoy going there. Um, my son's heavy into basketball right now, so um, on the days that he's with me and my wife. Um, I'm at basketball training, basketball practice at the gym with him. So that gives a lot of my time. And then my wife and I like to travel, like to get out the house. We're actually leaving to uh, Mexico tomorrow morning for our anniversary. So we're going to be out there for a few days. So nice. try and get out and travel when we can. Happy anniversary. Yeah, anniversary. thank you. Where do you see yourself in five years? Uh, five years. I'm not sure about five years. Um, three years from now, though, the goal is to get to a thousand short-term rental units. Like that's mm-hmm. that's the that's the number that we're we're moving towards. So, um, like I said, we're at about 15 right now. We're technically, we're at 13. We got two more that are closing this week, uh, but we're we're at about 15. Uh, got another six, seven, eight under contract right now that are getting built out. Anyway, we're still a long way from a thousand. Um, so we're going to need to really scale up our team, scale up our operations to be able to hit that goal. But by the end of uh, 2023, we want to be at a thousand units. There you go. Oh, it's my turn. <laughs> I, got, I got blown away with a thousand and I was like, I know, right? Yeah, me too. But I can't wait to see what that looks like. That's great. If your wife is still taking those calls on a thousand units. <laughs> I hope not. I my, hope she she will divorce me before then. she takes the, uh, picks up the calls for a thousand units. So. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, I wanted to be an engineer. And um, I wanted to be an engineer. And uh, it's funny. It actually goes back to, to the whole relationship that I have with money. Um, one of my sisters, she's 14 years older than me. It's just the two of us. So she's, she was more like a second mom to me growing up than, than a sister. Um, but one of her friends had moved away, came back to visit for like one of the holidays. And when she came back to visit my sister's friend, like they pulled up in this really nice car and my sister told me they had this like really big house. And, you know, I asked the, I asked the friend's husband, I was like, Hey, what do you do? And he's like, Oh, I'm an engineer. And I was like, 
my nine-year-old self said, I'm going to be an engineer when I get older. So, you know, I actually went to college. Um, I spent three years studying to be an electrical engineer. Um, I interned with Chevron. Uh, they have a refinery hill in, here in Southern California. Uh, spent two summers with them. Had a job offer lined up for when I graduated. And um, after my junior year of college, um, I realized that I I didn't really enjoy engineering. Hmm. Um, I literally almost flunked out of college. I, I had a 1.6 GPA one quarter. And it wasn't because I wasn't smart enough. I was just so not engaged in the material and like with the future that I saw for myself. Because what I saw when I was interning there was people that were at this job for 20, 30 years. And none of them were exceptionally passionate about the work that they were doing. But what they were focused on was how big their 401k was, or, you know, the benefits they were going to have when they retired, or the fact that it was really secure, or that they had a, a four, uh, they had a 980 schedule where they had like every other Friday off and how pumped they were about that. It was all the, they were excited about all the things that weren't exciting to me. So it was a really big wake up call for me as like a 21 year old. So Anyway, I walked away from that. I ended up getting a degree in business and yeah, led me to this conversation. So we have a, we were parallel lives, man. I went to Virginia Tech, got my degree in engineering, which, oh, by the way, so many real estate investors I know got their degree, got their degree in engineering. Um, <laughs> yeah. So many. I, I could name at least a dozen off the top of my okay. head that you and I both know that went yeah. to college for engineering and then, you know, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then quit their job to go and <laughs> right. become rich investors, right? Um, first of all. And secondly, I, I was an engineer because people were like, hey, you're good at math and science. You should be an engineer. Right. Like, all right, I'll do that, right? I'm mm-hmm. 17 years old. I don't know, right? I'll, mm-hmm. I'll do what the grownups say, right? So, by the time I saw what an engineer did was through an internship at a local factory. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, this sucks. I don't want right. to do this. I don't want to sit on a desk all day. And by that time I had learned people skills and I had kind of like become more of a people person, more, mm-hmm. I'm way more of a people person than most engineers are. Let's say that, right? right. So, right. Um, you know, everybody else around me was Dilbert. You know, and, and I and I was like, this engineer guy's like, hey, let's go fun, right? Like, oh, this yeah. isn't gonna work. So I got a job in sales that required an engineering degree. So mm. um, so yeah, parallel lives, man. Um yeah. when uh what is one bucket list item you have not accomplished yet? My wife and I want to live abroad somewhere for like an entire season. Um, like go to Europe somewhere and just like actually live there for like three months. Mm. Um so that's like a big thing we've always talked about. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping we can make it happen sooner rather than You will, later. man. That's awesome. You're manifesting that life now. So, yeah. um, well, that's great, man. So I know you're the uh, co-host of the Bigger Pockets Rookie Podcast. And now you've got many other things going on. So people should certainly check out the Bigger Pockets Rookie Show uh, yeah. to hear you and Ashley Care on their interview, all kinds of awesome real estate rookies um, that are making their way, making big splashes. And I think in a lot of ways, a lot of the rookies are changing the industry a lot more than the old bears like myself are. So I, I really uh, commend you for what, the work you do there. If people want to reach out to, to you, uh, to pick your brain, to talk about short-term rentals, to give you some more health tips Dr. Ricky gave you today or get a picture of you at your competition. How do they, uh, how do they reach out to you? Absolutely. So um, first and best place is probably Instagram. So I'm at Tony J. Robinson. Um, pretty active on there. I post a lot of content. Um, my wife and I also have a YouTube channel. If you just look up The Real Estate Robinsons, um, that channel is all about our short-term rental endeavors. So the real estate rookie, it's it's all encompassing uh, real estate, but the real estate Robinson's YouTube channel is just short-term rentals. Um, if you guys want to find out more about like our company, it's alphageekcapital.com. So alpha, like alpha male, geek, like engineer, and then capital.com. 
That's great. Uh, reach out to Tony J. Robinson to hear more, guys. Um, Tony, it's been phenomenal having you here. I really enjoyed our conversation. Dr. Aguilar, what do you think? Amazing. Well, guys, I, I appreciate you having me on. It was a, a wonderful conversation. I hope the listeners got some value from, uh, from hearing my story today. I hope so, too. Wow. Dr. Iggy, this, that was one of those interviews that you look at, you're like, man, did that just go an hour? You know, man, it really did. I mean, we, and I really enjoyed all the conversations and just the different uh, dynamics and growth of his life. I mean, you know, very interesting and, and uh, not to like, you know, aside from the bodybuilding thing, a, a lot of parallels between his, his uh, path and my path with regards to going to the path for one career and realizing it's a different career. And, and maybe uh, for your uh, parallel to your life for being this, you know, really super committed, crazy athlete, you know, um, that I, I can tell you aligned a lot with what he was doing. And I thought the contributions you gave him and the ideas, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I could see his pen as he was writing down stuff while you were giving it to him. It was great. You know, he's a great human being. And yeah. it, it, was, I mean, obviously you listened to the whole episode if you made it to this point, unless you could fast forward to this point, but <laughs> like he's, he's, he's incredible. And we're, we're going to be so excited to, to follow his path. Yeah. I can't wait to Airbnb one of his places. We should go down and check out one of his places. We should. We should go to the one in Pigeon Forge. That sounds awesome. Well, five bedroom, do a little healthy, wealthy, wise guys retreat. I love it. Yeah. Um, that would be great. Maybe I can have a microphone that actually works instead of this. <laughs> you should keep that broken microphone you got for when there's a moment in the podcast that you love. You're like, I just pick up the broken mic and drop it. Hey, broken <laughs> mic moment. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Wealthy Wise Guys show. We sure appreciate you. Please do us a favor and leave this show a positive rating in your favorite podcast app. Write it a review. You send us some kind words at maddeniggy.com um, and uh, support our show, please. Tell your friends about it. And uh, we, we appreciate your uh, patronage and being here with us today. Dr. Iggy, take us home. Thank you. Oh, or no, you know what? Let's do this one. What you, what you, what you what want? You want. <laughs> so much. A good, great song by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. <laughs> cool. You're a chili pepper. All right. Have a great, uh, have a great day, guys. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Dr. Iggy. And, um, and thank you, Tony J. Robinson. Have a great day, guys. Thanks for listening to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise Guys show with Matt and Dr. Iggy. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you like what we do, please check us out at mattniggy.com. Thanks for listening again and have a great day. Thank you.